good to be back in the sanctuary together. Uh, makes you want to applaud. I saw it. Yeah, it does. Um, we've got our spacing worked out so that we can take our masks off up here, and we feel like we've got the distance between us to you all. So, um, so I've done that, and we've got other protocols in place. But just being in here together feels good, and uh, makes you want to applaud. Yes, I learned how to applaud in sign language in our Zoom meetings. Did you already know how to do that? Yeah, this is great. So for all the folks who are with us at home, you know, doing worshiping with us, we're celebrating. And um, it, it makes you feel like this disruption in our lives is going away. <laughs> and it's a good feeling. And we acknowledge there are some folks uh, who are with us online um, who aren't going to be in the sanctuary just yet for any number of reasons. We did that survey and we got feedback like, uh, you know, you may have some other health condition that uh, makes you not feel comfortable being in the sanctuary just yet. Or you may just think it's too soon. Or the fact that we don't have nursery and children's church yet for your kids, which is coming soon. But, but this feeling that we have this morning of, of being in the room together, for most of us, it's a feeling of joy, of coming back into the Shambly Sanctuary. You feel like this is where you should be. Maybe you feel like you never should have left. Or we should have come back sooner. I've heard it. Some people think there's no one or nothing that should keep me from worshiping in my church. For some of us, it's a sense of relief. Like we can exhale with your mask on, please. Like I'm home. This is where I, we ought to be. This morning, the scripture we're going to read from Acts is, is a little bit of a calling home by Peter. All of the sermons during this Easter season have been about God's grace, God's common grace that we experience among us and in all kinds of ways. They've also all come from the book of Acts because the book of Acts tells the story of those first disciples of Jesus, the apostles, and what life was like for them immediately following the death and resurrection of Jesus. So here in this Easter season, after we've celebrated the resurrection, it seems fitting that we've taken our scriptures uh, from the book of Acts to read about God's grace. And so I want to invite you to listen to this scripture this morning as a call to come home. And we're going to put it up on the screen. It's Acts chapter 3. Verses 13 through 19, and I'll read it out loud and you can follow along. This is Peter, the apostle, speaking to a crowd that had gathered around him. And this is what he said. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. This is the one you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence even though he had already decided to release him. You rejected the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you instead. You killed the author of life, the very one whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. His name itself 
has made this man strong. That is, because of faith in Jesus' name, God has strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith that comes through Jesus gave him complete health right before your eyes. Brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance. So did your rulers. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. So change your hearts and lives. Turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. In this passage, Peter is calling people back to God, back home, by reminding them first about Jesus and who he was and how they handled him. He reminds them of what happened at Jesus' trial. That they rejected Jesus when Pilate offered to set him free. And they chose instead Barabbas. Do you know that part of the story? That after Jesus' trial, Pilate was preparing to sentence him to death. The Scripture tells us that Pilate couldn't find any fault in him that warranted being put to death. And so... As was the custom from time to time at Pilate's preference, he offered to set somebody free, set one of these Jewish prisoners free, and he, and he held up before the people, Jesus or Barabbas? And, and Barabbas's reputation was as an insurrectionist, a rioter, someone who was guilty of either implicit or complicitly taking the lives of human beings with his rhetoric and his actions. That was Barabbas. And and Pilate held up Barabbas and Jesus and said, which one would you like me to set free? Which one do you want? And they chose Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us the insurrection. Give us the riot. Give us the violence that is so often inherent in a need for power or control. Not the peace or the compassion of a wide and disempowering welcome of grace. How often in history or in our lives has a desire for control or power led to hurtful or harmful attitudes or actions? And we hear from Peter a recounting of this departure from the way of Jesus, the way of faith, in the choice of those people in that moment. Somehow the faith that celebrated Jesus with the waving of palm branches as he rode in on the peace donkey became focused on power and control that bred violence in the hearts and minds of the people. And we can hear in Peter's retelling of this the the pain, even the anger in his response to this harm that had been done, 
He said, you and the people that you listened to were acting in ignorance. Which is not in and of itself a criticism, though, right? Ignorance is just not knowing. Be ignorant is to not know. And we're ignorant of things all the time. We, we don't know what we don't know. So to be ignorant in and of itself is not negative. Especially unwillfully. I mean, there's a, a willful aspect to ignorance sometimes that we choose not to know. Ignorance. I mean, the same root as ignore, right? Like we, we can choose to ignore what we see. What's being shared with us? Have you ever felt ignored? (laughs) But Peter says, you and the people you were following were just ignorant to what was happening, to who Jesus is. And this is the good news That even though you didn't know, even though you were ignorant, God is bigger than our not knowing. God is bigger than our ignorance. So there is a call, an invitation issued out of love from God. Peter says, change your hearts and your lives. Return to God. And just that very notion of changing your heart or your life, that call to come home to God. We we have a term in the church that we use to describe that. It's, It's called repentance. To repent, to change your heart, your life, to turn. The the literal translation of that word repentance means to turn away from one thing and toward another. And the way Peter's using it, it would mean to return back to God. And Peter issues this call to repentance to change your heart and your life. One of the founders of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, preached a sermon called The Repentance of Believers. And I mention it this morning because in it, he names... The significance of repentance to a life of faith. Yes, in a sense, at first, there's a moment when you come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ that calls you to put your faith and trust in Him. And in that sense, there is a repentance that happens as we turn away from whatever we were serving, whoever we were following, whatever attitudes and actions were characteristic of our lives that were not of the grace and love of God. And we repent and we turn and we follow Jesus. And in this sermon that Wesley preached over 200 years ago, he said, that's not the end of repentance. That's just the beginning. That in fact, the repentance of believers, of people who would follow Jesus, is more of a pattern, of of a lifestyle, of a spirit, of an attitude that we have as followers of Jesus. That we would have repentant hearts, repentant spirits. And he rightly points out in his sermon that 
that becomes more difficult the longer you follow Jesus because the longer you follow Jesus, the more right you're sure you are about what you think and how you live and how they should live. And yet even then, in those times and in those ways and seasons of our lives when it is more, most difficult is when it is most necessary. For us to have a heart and a spirit of repentance that is always open and willing to hear the call to change. To have a new understanding. To have a greater sense of who God is and who we are in God through Christ. Another great Methodist modern-day theologian is a friend of mine, Terry Walton. Stacy knows him too. Terry's a pastor in a Methodist church in North Georgia. Um, he's served several churches around. He's been a district superintendent. Now he's the assistant to the bishop. And Terry wrote an article just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the, the topic of the article was the difference between confidence and arrogance. And, and he writes about the dangers of arrogance and the blessing of confidence. And he names that the difference between the two, in a sense, is humility. And, and I put humility right there as a first cousin with repentance. That, that, that we would have a spirit about us that is humble enough to see and hear those places in us and in our lives where we're called to confidence, the confidence of our faith and the love of God for us and who God is making us into day after day, but, but being weary of crossing that line into arrogance where we think our way is the only way or we may be tempted to think we've arrived. Just like the humility and, and the repentant spirit that is required to come back into a sanctuary that we're so accustomed to being in, but, but to come back in very different ways and terms where we've got to have a mask on and we're going to keep six feet apart from each other. And, you know, there may be things in us that say, I don't want to do that. I've got it in me. <laughs> or I don't have to do that. Or you can't make me do that. And, and yet we're all agreeing together that for the common good and out of compassion... We're going to return into this sanctuary differently, for now at least, than what we're, so many of us are used to. Because it's a spirit, it, it's an attitude, it's a condition of the heart to have that re repentant spirit, more so than just an action, more so than a one-time thing, it's, it's a way of life. And, and sometimes... The actions of a repentant heart are born out of that spirit that we carry. And sometimes we just have to do it. We have to be repentant and, and let the actions strengthen that spirit within us. Sometimes we just have to make ourselves say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I was listening to an interview with Jonathan Merritt. He's, um, he's a writer, a speaker. He's, he's sort of found his place in the Christian circles because his dad is James Merritt, who was a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, uh, and Jonathan and his dad, James, share pretty different theological opinions and perspectives. And so 
it's uh, just that relationship between them. And it's been kind of public at times that, that they don't see eye to eye about a lot of things. But I listened to an interview with Jonathan where he talked about having these discussions with his dad. And um, he said, my dad loves to debate. Loves to talk politics. Loves to talk church politics. I mean, you can imagine he was elected the president of a denominational affiliation. You kind of got to be into that stuff. And, and Jonathan said, I do too. And he said, I've had friends tell me, how in the world can you have that conversation with your dad when you think so differently than each other? Seems like you would just not. And, and his response to that question, I found just about profound. He said... He loves it, I love it, so we do it. And in our having of these conversations, there are times, plenty of times, where it gets heated. And we say things we probably shouldn't have said. He said it's even gotten personal at times, which you might call ugly. He said, but we get to practice saying, I'm sorry. He said, we get to see in our own selves those moments when we prioritize being right over relationship and kindness and compassion. When we get more focused on being understood than on understanding. And he said, us having these conversations with each other has revealed those things in us and has given us opportunities to be repentant, to be humble, to say, I'm sorry, forgive me to one another. It's taught us the value of repentance, he said. And he said it makes love possible at a depth and in a way that we didn't know. When we're willing to have the conversations and then acknowledge the times and places and ways where we've hurt one another and have a repentant spirit and heart about it. Then he, he said there's a spiritual discipline of failure. He said there are things that God can teach you when you're in the middle of the ashes that God can't teach you when you're sitting comfortably in front of the fire. There's something about that humble, repentant place and posture that creates an opportunity for growth and learning that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. There's something about being willing to engage with God and with each other on our attitudes and actions and beliefs. There's something about that that's holy, particular when we're willing to be shaped and formed and even corrected. And Peter says the something about that is that God will wipe away your sin, make you clean, make you new. The very next verse says the Lord will provide relief in the distress of this age for those who are willing to change their hearts and their minds. That's why confession and pardon is part of our communion liturgy. It's it's baked right into our celebration of communion. God's grace is the wide welcome that we experience 
in repentance. It's the joy. It's the celebration. Living with a repentant spirit keeps us in a posture of always returning toward home. Our home and our identity in God. It's the joy that wells up in us as God makes us clean in the midst of our repentantness. It's the joy that wells up in us as God does a new thing in us, as this disruption in our lives goes away, as we find that we are where we should be, like we never should have left, like we should have come back sooner. Like there's no one or nothing that can keep me from worshiping my God. Like we can finally exhale in the assurance of God's grace for us that fills our hearts and our lives with grace and joy like worshipers returning to church. (laughs) Will you pray with me? Oh God, we are thankful today that we wake by your grace. That we walk by your grace. That we live and think love by your grace. Oh God, we're thankful that we repent by your grace. And we're thankful for the call from Peter to changed hearts, changed lives. And that in it, we experience the grace of your forgiveness, your mercy that cleans us, cleanses us and makes us new in our returning to home. Oh God, may we be people with repentant hearts. May we be a repentant church with the humility and confidence to trust you for what you are doing and making all things new. This is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.